Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first ever Run and Ram podcast episode, your premier podcast for URI men's basketball. I'm Gavin Bishow. And I'm Colin Struckman. And we got a great schedule for you guys today. We're going over the roster, the schedule, and we got an inter- interview with former URI journalism student, Stone Freeman. We got a lot to get into, so let's get into it. Karan Iverson clears it. Iverson gets away from the defense, dribbles into the forecourt. Iverson going up. He gets it home as the buzzers have. And Rooney, the 8 10 champs. With four. Oda, 30 feet away. Jumper in the air. He's got it. Four has won it for Rhode Island. Seconds left to the corner. Shot for three by Stan. Seconds, gonna go right in traffic, off balance shot. Thank you, Jared Terrell. And for the first time since 2009, it's Rhode Island over Providence with the Ocean State. Oh wow, Terrell from outside. First and foremost, before we start, I want to give a shout out to Rody Sports on Instagram, all lowercase Rody.sports. Your up to date news for URI Rams basketball with the best graphics and up to date news with recruiting and games and other sorts of things. So just wanted to shout them out first. Uh, great account. I advise you to follow them on IG again, Rody.sports, all lowercase. Great way to get your Rody news uh, through Instagram. And they got the best edits, best graphics. Best everything when it comes to Rhodey basketball. Now, first, we're going to get into uh, the overview of this 2020-2021 roster. And, man, there was a lot of shakeup. I mean, we had a lot of players leave for Rhodey. Uh, the notables, uh, Dana Tate, Makai Long, Jacob Toppin, Tyrese Martin. And in return, you know, we have a lot of players coming in that we'll get to later. A lot of transfers um, which will be evident in this season. Hopefully they can step up and make a difference. As always, we have returners, three returners only from Rody this year. We have the seniors, Fats Russell at the guard spot, and Antoine Walker, who transferred from Georgetown last year at the forward spot, and then Jermaine Harris, uh, the junior forward, um, also returning for the Rams. Yeah, it's definitely going to be an interesting year, obviously, when you lose all those guys, especially like Jeff Doughton and Surreal Langevin, the seniors. It's definitely going to be... Re- Difficult to rebuild, honestly. Um, but hopefully we can see these new guys step up and fill that role. Uh, Fats definitely going to have to take over, but I think he's definitely willing to step up to the task. Speaking about the new guys filling the new role, we have a few players here, too, uh, to count, that the, the Rams have had on their roster the, last, uh, the, la- the past season. And those are DJ Johnson and Jeremy Shepard. Now, DJ Johnson did redshirt last year, so he's going to be a redshirt junior this year. Uh, we mentioned him... He's number 23, uh, forward for the Rams, put him at forward. He's, um, he can play all around. He can play the two, the three, the four, or even the five. Uh, he's at six, seven, and he transferred from Wilson State. And going on to the next uh, guy that was on the team last year, his waiver was actually denied. Many people disagreed with the decision, but the NCAA, of course, they just throw out waivers. They, uh, they don't really care. Nowadays, they've been giving him out like it's nothing because of Corona. But Jeremy Shepard, he's going to be coming as a senior, uh, number two. Uh, he's going to be a guard. He's at six one. He started his career off at ECU and transferred to College of Florida, and now he's at Rhodey. And, man, this guy can shoot the three, which could help this team out a lot. 
Yeah, I think he's definitely going to take some of the workload off from Fats. I think he definitely could be a similar player to Jeff Doughton. They're um, both around the same height, can shoot the ball well, and Shepard seems like he's really going to gel well uh, with Fats Russell, just like Jeff Doughton did. Definitely, and that's that's a big thing Rody seems to struggle with. When they tend to shoot the three ball well, they tend to win basketball games. And going on to the newcomers now for Rody again, a lot of transfers coming in for the Rams. Let's count one, two, three, four, five. Five transfers, of, uh, a few freshmen, but that that's a lot. That's a lot of turnaround for David Cox and company. But if they can get that chemistry going, and they have a lot of talent on the team, they can do well in this uh, upcoming year. But let's get right off, and especially with these two absolute studs out of Maryland, Makai and Mikkel Mitchell. What can we see about them this year, Colin? Um, I think Makai might have a little bit more upside. Um, you know, he can shoot particularly well for a big man. He's just dominant in the paint. He uses his height exactly to his advantage, can slam it down easily, and he just consistently makes himself look like the most dominant player on the court. I mean, that's in simple terms, but it's true. He's just near impossible to stop him in the paint. And I think he's really the type of big man Rody has been looking forward uh, to to kind of replace Langevin and Mikel. Kind of the same. They're both similar players. And I think they're really going to have unbelievable chemistry with each other, both around six foot nine. Uh, Mikel is six foot ten. Uh, but I think they're going to, you know, gel nicely with each other. And we saw a couple of years ago the big man tandem in Hassan Martin and Surreal Langevin. I think this has the potential to be close to that and possibly even better than that duo. Yeah, definitely. I and mean, you look at these guys' size. I mean, 6'9", 230 for Makai, and 6'10", 245. They have them listed right now for Mikel. Those are some big boys, all right? Then they're not that they're not that skinny. You know, they're some they're they're big and they're gonna be a tough force down low. And look at Makai, not just on the offensive side, but he is a massive shot blocker. I mean, he impacted the defense in the paint last year for Maryland and those in his short stint there. But uh, again, he's both sides of the ball. Makai obviously has a little more upside, but Mikel obviously shouldn't be slept on. Both are sophomores coming out of Maryland. Both their transfers were uh, granted to them. Uh, their waivers were granted to them by the NCAA. Seems like everyone was. So that's the scoop on them. Those are the two guys, two stars to get to look into. And it seemed right after they got the Mitchell Twins, they got a big uh, transfer out of Charlotte, Malik Martin Jr., brother of Rhode Island legend, as you said earlier, uh, Hassan Martin. He was uh, on the CUSA all-defensive team as a sophomore. He is a 6'6", uh, 2'10", guard slash small forward uh, who can shoot the three ball, who can go down low, very versatile on the floor. Yeah, he definitely is. And you mentioned versatile. When I think of the word versatile in basketball, I think of someone who, who kind of acts as a role player, someone who steps up and, and you know attacks offensively defensively distributes the ball well this is a guy that just fills up the box score each and every game he's a silent assassin that can strike at any moment I think he's gonna play kind of a similar role like Tyrese Martin and I think he's definitely gonna excel in that role for URI obviously there's pressure with Hassan because he's obviously one of the greatest URI players of all time but I think Malik is still gonna be a very good player for this team definitely and man I feel like this list gets better and better with the transfers. I mean, David Cox did a great job. His team's suffering. Jacob Toppin going to, going to Kentucky. You had uh, Tyrese Martin going to UConn. Tate going to Siena and Makai Long going to uh, Old Dominion. You had no freshman class going to sophomore. 
and with no top and Makai or Dana Tate. And it didn't look good. The future did not look good, uh, especially going into COVID. No one knew it was going to happen. Um, people were all going back to their hometown, telling them where to do. So transfer, there's a lot of transfers this past season, but David Cox, man, he sure turned it around, showing his recruiting prowess, especially getting this guy. This, that's everybody I mentioned right here. Alan Betrayan out of Towson. He's going to be a junior guard. He's actually registering this year, so the Rams won't see him on the floor, but he's a 6'5 guard. Uh, around 200 pounds, he averaged 13.6 points per game in his last year against uh, in his uh, last season with Towson. Led that team um, to a few um, a few solid victories and a solid season. Yeah, you mentioned David Cox before. I just want to talk about that before we get into the trans, obviously. But David Cox does not get nearly as much credit as he as he deserves. He took over after Dan Hurley went to UConn the year after URI had one of the greatest seasons in our lifetime, honestly. They went 26-8, and 15-3 in the A-10. They were first in the A-10 the regular season, made it to the second round of the NCAA tournament after beating Oklahoma. They lost so much talent after that season, and now they're rebuilding with the Mitchell Twins, like we mentioned before, um, and obviously Betrans too, Malik Martin. But with Betrans, um, it's going to be interesting. I mean, URI is playing Towson. Um, unfortunately, he you know doesn't get to play in that game. Um, but I think he's going to be an entertaining player. Um, I mean, he he really can make an impact on this team, very athletic. So I think time will tell with him. But looking at it, I mean, Towson is a smaller school, but I don't think that really plays a factor in his decision to come to URI. I mean, I know like those schools don't get the rep that, you know, the A-10 schools do, but I still think um, it's going to pay off. I think him coming to URI is really going to pay off. I think this is one of the biggest gets for the Rams this offseason. Yeah, for sure. I mean, looking into the future, too. I mean, with Fats leaves, you're going to need a guy who can take over ball games like Fats does and consistently get you buckets that you need. And Albatran is that guy, right? I mean, look at his stats. Not a lot of assists on the stat sheet. Not a lot of rebounds. He's a guy that can get to the basket, and that's, that's what you need for Rody. Now, looking forward, another guy I'm really excited about and see what he's going to do is Jalen Carey, a sophomore uh, out of Syracuse. He's a 6'3 guard. Center out 185, 186 pounds. He played a little bit last year for um, for the Orange, but now coming to Rody, this could be one of the you know besides the Mitchell twins, the biggest transfers is coming to Rody from Syracuse. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see because both URI and PC got transfers from Syracuse. Uh, PC got Bryson Godine, and you know, we got Jalen Carey. And um, I think Jalen Carey could be the better of the two, potentially. He has a lot of upside, um, like everyone else who they got. Um, but he's going to be one of those guys who doesn't necessarily have the experience as, you know, other guys in the A-10, like Fats Russell, you know, Jacob Gilliard, or, um, you know, Jalen Crutcher, obviously. But I think Jalen Carey is going to be a really big X factor for this team he didn't get the chance at Syracuse, but he definitely has a chance at URI. Definitely. And I, I just think watching his game a little bit last year, I mean, he can shoot a little bit. He's got some good ball handling skills, and that should, should help Brody, especially in a year where they lose uh, a big guy in uh, Tyree Smart and, and some key role players in Jacob Toppin, Dana Tate, and Makai Long. Moving on now to the freshman coming in this year, uh, starting with Ishmael Leggett. He was um, the earliest commitment out of the three freshmen that we're about to list. He's from Washington, D.C., went to St. John's College, same high school as Jeff Downton uh, attended. He's sitting around a 6'2", 180-pound guard, uh, and this he is, shows what 
David Cox is recruited this year for that freshman class. I mean, you look at Ishmael Leggett, we'll get into Norris, uh, Tresberry, and Iro Aofale later, but long guards who can make a difference on both sides of the ball. Yeah, Ishmael Leggett, I mean, he's a guy that's coming from the DMV area, which is just a renowned basketball area for for college basketball. And I think, yeah, you said the the length in these guards is huge. And I think being able to stretch the floor is something that these dominant URI teams have been able to do so well, and they can get back to that with recruiting guys like Ishmael Leggett. Now on to Trez Berry, a freshman out of Cleveland, Tennessee, attended Scotland campus in Pennsylvania. He's a 6'4 guard, standing there about 190 pounds. He has some long arms. He had an interview with Chris Desano uh, earlier in, uh, during COVID, talking about how he wants to be a role player coming off the bench, getting steals, uh, just doing what he can, especially on defense, and bring that energy to the Rory team, which they need. Yeah, that's definitely going to be key. I mean, energy, I think, is is underlooked in in these big games because you can get down early and not have a you know a spark to come back. And I definitely saw that at the the St. Louis game where they just didn't have it. And maybe having a guy like this, who's a younger guy coming in, he's got a lot of energy, a lot of fight. You know, he's just kind of that that goal lucky player. Maybe that helps them. And he's, you know, lengthy, like you said. He's got a lot of height. Um, he's a baller. I mean, let's just be real. He definitely is a baller. And if he can just, you know, not have much on his mind, go out there and ball out and help this team, he's going to be huge for the Rams. And one of David Cox's last commitments uh, for this 2020 class is Eliro Aofile. And this man is redshirting this year as a freshman, uh, which makes sense. You got a lot of forwards coming in. You have Makai Mikel Mitchell. You have Jermaine Harris, Antoine Walker. So it makes sense for the 6'7 forward from Lebanon, Pennsylvania, uh, standing at 185 pounds to redshirt. But again, he's a a lengthy 6'7", got long arms, can play the three to four spot, and he could be a big impact for the future of Rhodey. Yeah, he definitely can. I think it'll be, you know, a waiting game for him, but he can definitely be a key bench piece. I mean, this is a team that, hasn't had the strongest bench in the past two seasons. So if you can get him going, put a little weight on him, I think he's definitely going to be an X factor on the bench for this team. Especially the weight factor. He's only standing at 185 pounds at 6'7". Definitely going to get some weight on him over this next redshirt year. And now we're just going to go quickly into the walk-ons. Don't want to put any shade to them or anything. But firstly, a fifth-year walk-on, Umberto Brusaden. He is from Caldwell University, uh, a six foot, 180 pound guard. Uh, played at Oak Hill, uh, uh, a notorious high school superpower when it comes to basketball. And then for the last walk on, Brandon Board, a freshman guard, 6'2, 190 pounds, out of Foxborough, Massachusetts, a uh, local, local kid. And I'd like to see that. And that would fill out Rhodey's uh, roster for this upcoming 2020 2021 season. And getting into uh, another topic, at maybe as big as this roster, is this roadie schedule. With coronavirus and all the things moving, we don't even know if some of these games will happen. They're, they're still looking for more games. It, it's going to be still some moving pieces over the next couple of weeks as we lead up to roadie's first games. Yeah, obviously one of the storylines is how well this team is going to deal with COVID because this is something that's already affected their offseason. You know, they don't have normally as many practices as they do, and that's important in having practically a brand new team and you know at some point there could be a positive case there could be several positive cases where they have to cancel games or conference games we just don't know I mean what we have now is really tentative 
you know, they could be adding games. They could be subtracting games. We really don't know. We're going to have to see how this plays out. But dealing with COVID is definitely going to be huge, like you mentioned before. So it's it's really just a waiting game with this with this schedule, I think. Yes, for, for sure. I totally agree. You know, probably some change is going to happen over the next couple of weeks. And, you know, we'll stay on that with you guys. But we're going to uh, just go into what we know. So they're going to start off their first game on the 25th of November. Uh, through that week, they're playing four games on that Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday at Bubbleville and Mohegan Sun. They got four games, four solid games against teams all uh, uh, most, I think most of them have had winning records last year. And you'll get uh, on the Wednesday, the 25th, Stephen F. Austin, Thursday, the 26th on Thanksgiving, they play Towson, Betran's old team, as you mentioned before. Saturday the 28th, they play USF, and on the 29th, they play Temple. And looking at the schedule, I mean, that's a, those are solid games against solid opponents. Of course, I think Rhodey should take care of some teams other than others. But, man, at the, that first game could be slept on. Steve Austin is a great team. I mean, last year, they're coming off a 25-3 and season. They went 17-1 and in the Southland, and they had about five or six juniors on the team that will be seniors this year. Uh, going to be a big game for the Rams, especially coming out of the gate. Yeah, this is going to be a really big game. This is a prove-it game for URI. I think if they win this game, they should definitely be taken seriously as they should already, but this could be even more so if they beat Stephen F. Austin. But this is a team that went on the road last season and beat Duke in overtime, obviously at Duke, and that's a really hard thing to do. Duke doesn't really lose many home games at all, and you know, that's that's huge. That was a top 10 team in the country at the time. Probably the biggest upset of the season. They still didn't get the attention they deserved. I thought they were going to win their conference championship. I thought they were going to go to the NCAA tournament. I thought they were going to wreak havoc. I think they could have been a sleeper sweet 16 team had they had, you know, a, a favorable type of, of bracket, you know, the type of teams they play. Uh, still a really good team. They have a lot of returning talent, like you mentioned before. So Stephen F. Austin, that's a big game. If you or I can win that game, I think that's going to be huge for their resume. It'll definitely be a proving day for the Rams, obviously, as this team has a lot of talent. It's probably one of the most talented teams we've seen in a while. And it's all about chemistry. This team hasn't been together for long. Uh, like you mentioned before, again, uh, not, not as much practices as you would want uh, due to COVID. So it'll definitely be something to see again rounding that schedule out on thanksgiving with thousand uh a solid team in usf and uh old a10 foe in temple on sunday move on to what the Rams scheduled during covid uh they have a home game wednesday december 2nd uh against the seton hall pirates a big get for david cox for a home and home series uh that's a, that's a great game for the rams wish there could be fans there but obviously due to covid19 that is not going to happen but Seton Hall, another great team in the Big East. Of course, they lost Miles Powell, but they still have a lot of talent on that team. And that could end up to be a great game for Rhodey. If they can somehow beat Seton Hall, that would be unbelievable. But then moving on, that same week they play BC on the Friday on the road, another home-and-home home David Cox scheduled. And there's a big gap between the 4th and the 19th where they play at Western Kentucky, a team where the Rams skidded by in overtime against the Hilltoppers. And honestly, this Western Kentucky, Western Kentucky team has a lot of talent that didn't play last year, uh, including Charles Bassey. And that, that's a scary game as well. That's a, probably one of the top three games in this non-conference schedule. Yeah, they had to squeak, squeak that one out last year. I, I thought they had it in the bag, but then 
Western Kentucky made a wild shot at the end of force overtime, but certainly one you can't overlook. I mean, that's a that'd be a great win if they can if they can hold on to that one. But you got to take your non-conference wins this year. They they mean so much more due to the the just the really complicated schedule. But you got to make the best of it, and you got to win those games that you really have a chance to win. And as you see there in that big break uh, between the fourth and the nineteenth, Brody's still looking for one more game uh, on their schedule. And many thoughts have been. Buffalo, Vermont, uh, Iona, teams that have all been, that are all going to be at Bubbleville, at Mohegan Sun. So maybe they can get a game at one of those teams. would be very good for Rhodey. A big mid-major contest there would be very good. Nevertheless, nonetheless, I mentioned that Iona is now coached by Rick Pitino. Uh, so that would, that would be an interesting game. Um, who's proven to get recruits uh, already at Iona, which is crazy. And obviously with the schedule, We'll have uh, there were some cancellations. Uh, obviously, the first three games: Lehigh, Drexel, and Quinnipiac, kind of tune-up games for this Mohegan Sun Classic, which is already switched around, um, were canceled due to the pushback of the college basketball season. And probably the the the, the stunner out of all of this: uh, PC URI will not play for the first time in a while. Colin, I'm not happy. Rhodey fans are not happy, and we'll get more into this. When we have Stone Freeman on, we'll, he'll, he'll give you some um, uh, info on what he thinks. We'll go re- deep dive into it so we can all just get mad at get mad at uh, PC. But that's what the lay of the land is looking like for the Rams schedule for the non-conference. Yeah, we'll, we'll table that PC discussion for later. But it's certainly an interesting schedule. I mean, definitely not as many chances as last year. You know, last year you had Alabama, LSU, you know, those types of teams to make an, a statement against. Um, but you still have a lot of chances. You still have Stephen F. Austin. You still have Western Kentucky. You could have, I really like Vermont. Vermont's a really good team. That could be, if you win that game, that's big. Even Iona, too, with uh, Rick Patino, like you mentioned before. Buffalo's been a decent team over the past couple of years. Um, but you really do have a chance to make an impact in the non-conference games. That's going to be key. But even if you 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 know have a decent record, you go into the A-10 with a lot of good teams. If you can make a real big impact in conference play, that's going to be key in hopefully making the NCAA tournament. Yeah, about to get into that A-10 schedule in, in just one moment. But looking at those games, Stephen F. Austin, Western Kentucky, Seton Hall, those are, those are games you've got to take advantage of, right? you got to win at least one, maybe two of those games if you want to have that confidence going into an A-10 schedule where it is much stronger than it's been in the last few years. I mean, you have a lot of great teams in the A-10 that are all suited up for great years. And getting into that uh, A-10 schedule, starting on December 30th, uh, released, a, we don't know the exact dates, but it was released about a month or two ago, about who Rhodey will play. So they'll play home against Fordham, George Mason, George Washington, St. Bonaventure. They'll play on the road against Duquesne, LaSalle, Richmond, and St. Louis. And they'll share a home-and-home with Davidson, Dayton, UMass, St. Joe's, and VCU. Yeah, it's certainly going to be interesting. I mean, you you mentioned the um, VCU home and home, and last year that was big for URI. They won both games. Obviously, that home game was so exciting. Uh, that was the first game I went to. That was just an awesome game. Uh, hopefully, they can take advantage of playing VCU twice again. They've had their number over the past couple of years. I think that's probably what stands out to me the most out of their schedule. And obviously facing a Dayton team that's losing Obi Toppin. Um, and then St. Louis looking like a favorite. So is Richmond. So I think those games are probably the ones that um, I'm going to have my eye on for the Rams this year. 
Uh, definitely. And this could either, the way it's scheduled, could either hurt or help the Rams and their efforts to get a double bye in this 8-10 that is so competitive, right? I mean, the last couple of years has been dominated by Davidson. The conference has been dominated by Davidson, Dayton, VCU, Rhode Island, right? And you're seeing a big switch in what's happening. You have Davidson still solid. Dayton lost Obi Toppin. They led by a lot of Jalen Crutcher, E.B. Watson. They still got players. They're still a solid team. You have VCU who ended up sluggish last year after, you know, they had a transfer of Marco Santa Silva to Texas Tech. So they're missing his, uh, his pre- they're going to miss his presence. I mean, they're going to be led by Bones Highland. But I don't know. That VCU team has got a lot of soul searching to do. See how they come out. I'll be very interested and see what they do. But the Rams, look at these teams. St. Bonaventure, Duquesne, Richmond, St. Louis. Those are just going to be the, the top of the notch teams this year in the A-10. And they only play them once. Now that could help a young uh, a Rams team that is inexperienced with each other. And um, I would say uh, on the on the team where the leadership is not there really. I mean, you have Fats, you have Jermaine, and you have Antoine, but that's basically it. And everyone else is new to the program, and so whether the Rams need those games where say they're behind, they need to play a team like Richmond, St. Louis, St. Bonaventure, or Duquesne twice to get that chance to get in the double bye, or maybe they can just you know, play them once and cruise the rest of the schedule. Yeah, we'll definitely see about that. And I think a big factor that could affect their record is it's it's pretty obvious, but not having fans at the games. I mean, you don't have that Rosh's Ryan Center on a Friday or Saturday night that's bumping. Uh, you don't have that. But you also, it does kind of help you because you don't have to go into a hostile environment like Dayton, VCU, St. Louis. I think those are probably the the top three toughest venues to play, um, you know, on the road in the A-10. And obviously, you know, there's places like St. Bonaventure that's tough as well. So that could be a factor in how well the Rams do, not having to go to those tough environments and have to, you know, fight and claw for a win when there's practically no fans. And then, like you mentioned before, it's all dependent on how they gel with each other. They have the talent alone to compete with, the likes of the Richmond Spiders and the St. Louis Billikens for an A-10 title, but it all depends on how well they can mesh together on the court and how productive their bench can be this season. And that's going to do it for the overview of the roadie schedule. Again, all those URI uh, A-10 scheduled games, are the dates are uh, to be determined, uh, not out yet. We'll see, obviously, more, uh, more things to happen sooner to when they're actually going to occur due to COVID and uncertainty. So... That's going to be it. And before we get into um, get into our discussion with Stone Freeman, I just want to uh, let it known URI has one recruit so far for the 2021 season. They're going to need, I'm pretty sure, go back. I'm pretty sure they're going to need two of them, two spots to fill, uh, three spots to fill, rather, with Fats, Antoine, and Jeremy Shepard. So they've gone out and got one. Uh, Abdu Sam, a forward. He's around 6'7 for the class of 2021. So that's something to look into for the Rams in the future, recruiting-wise for David Cox with those spots left. And Colin, what were you going to say? I was going to kind of touch upon uh, Abdu Sam. I watched a little of his highlights. It's a cliche, but he does have untapped potential. I, I think he he shows a little bit of surreal angevine in the paint, and he does shoot the ball well for uh, for a big man, surprisingly. So I'm excited to see him, definitely. And again, two more spots to fill, whether it be transfers or recruiting David Cox. Uh, needs to go all out and get some solid players that can fill those roles, especially the likes of Fats Russell. 
that's going to do it for our little first part, um, going over Rody's schedule, roster, recruiting, etc. But right now, we're about to get into a discussion with Stone Freeman. Now, welcoming to the Running Rams podcast, Stone Freeman. Stone, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Colin. Gavin, thanks so much for having me uh, tonight, and uh, I'm I'm really uh, you know anxious to to kind of talk to you guys because I'm as most of us were longing for something to look forward to, and uh, college basketball now just a couple weeks away. So to get to chat college hoops, Rhode Island hoops with you guys, uh, I'm really excited. Th- thank you again for having me. Oh no problem, we both are. And just for the listeners, uh, can you give a quick bio of yourself? Yeah, sure. I. I uh, I'm still technically in school. I'm a graduate student at the University of Rhode Island. Uh, I did graduate, though, there in 2019. Um, I guess the easiest way to describe it is over the last couple of years, I've, I've, whether it be for student radio, student newspapers now, covering it a little bit and, and working with the athletic department last year, this year working um, really, I guess, you know, the, the, the correct word would be freelancer, but I do some games for your view, which is the local TV station in Rhode Island. So I get to do some men's basketball, women's basketball, football games if and when we get to those seasons, hopefully we'll get, you know, a football season in the, in the uh, spring that's on schedule, men's and women's basketball this fall and into the spring too. So I get to do some games, the play by play for your view. And uh, just, you know, a, a, you know, the best way to describe is devoted URI fan too at the, at the, at the, you know, root of all this is, is a guy that's got uh, two sisters that are both either at or graduated from URI and a dog named Rody. So I'm, I, I live and breathe Keeney blue. And uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of a little bit about me. All right, Colin, want to start it off? Yeah, so we got some uh, questions for you here. Sure. Uh, how were your four years at URI, especially being involved with the Rhode Island sports program? Yeah, uh, you know, it's, that's, that's a huge question just because I have nothing but good things to say about it. Uh, but the easiest way to describe it is it was so good, I decided to stay two more years uh, and get my master's degree. So, um, yeah, it was, it was awesome, you know, getting, you know, hands-on experience with these programs. Um, but also getting to learn myself as, as a person, as a reporter, as a, as a journalist too, um, you know, had some really good teams in the four years that I was an undergrad there. And even last year, you know, the, the season cut short um, with COVID, but again, another really good team that, that have some names that right now, because it's so new, um, you know, we hear Jeff Dowton, we hear EC Matthews, we hear Fats Russell, you hear Dan Hurley, you hear David Cox, you think to yourself, well, I mean, those are guys that they're here now or they were here. Um, but they'll soon translate to the names that, you know, if, if you're from Rhode Island or, or you've just followed college basketball, they'll become the Katino Mobleys and the Tyson Wheelers and the Lamar Odoms where it's almost like you see highlights of them and it's, you know, wow, that, that was happening right here on campus. So getting to, to kind of live through it um, was, was really awesome. And a credit to, to just the people around me. I think there was a good group of student reporters um, and then that kind of, latched onto these programs and followed them um, as fans, but also really getting my hands in uh, and involved in, and again, how to be a journalist, how to ask questions. I did a podcast like this, my senior year at URI. Um, and it's stuff like this, that you have to start that you kind of got to be uncomfortable. You got to take risks. You got to ask random people to be on your podcast. You got to, uh, the best way to do it is you got to, you got to do it. You got to, got to, got to, you can't talk about things. You just have to do it. And that was what my four years were like at URI. And now uh, in May, I'm just about, you know, seven months removed from being a two-time alum of the university. And uh, again, it's, it's something that I take great pride in um and something that i will 
talk at you know all lengths about so i don't want to take up too much time on this answer but really just uh nothing but good things to say about my time at uri well that's great yeah, i know awesome. a lot of people enjoy it there yeah and you talked about you know being with basketball and football but talking about the basketball team was there like a special kind of like juice or like a mojo around the team that really was different than any other thing you really covered i mean that's that's another you know great question and great topic um the, the best way that I can describe is my sophomore year, I was an intern um, with a branch of the athletic department, Lairfield Sports, which they take care of this corporate sponsorships and stuff. So a little bit different than what I'm doing now, per se. But I had told uh, my boss, who's this guy, Matt Swiss, and I said to Matt, I said, you know, my favorite place on campus has to be the Memorial Union. And this is like after my freshman year. Um, again, I'm involved, but I'm doing stuff, you know, for a team that was the year EC towards ACL. So there was, a, there was a different buzz around the team. You know, not so much did they not fulfill expectations, but they had an opportunity really taken away from them. And there wasn't too much hype, I guess, yet. And I didn't really get too glued into athletics yet. But he said to me, uh, that'll quickly change. It'll quickly become the Ryan center. And again, I thought, well, at, at the moment, it's just something you hear. And now there is not a, a, a place, at least on campus that, that, you know, I want to be more than the Thomas M Ryan center. And that's where the buzz kind of came in. It, it started, you know, well before I was there when, when, you know, when coach Hurley was hired, in my opinion, this kind of new wave um, and all the credit to Jim Barron and, and that he had some great teams too, that just couldn't get over that hump. But there was this new wave of energy and, and this new, you know, um, new players, new faces, but new energy, new, this, you know, defensive minded basketball, if you look at it from on the court, but off the court, all of a sudden it seemed like it, it took time. Don't get me wrong, but, but people began to really care. And there was that idea on campus when you're walking around where all of a sudden people are talking, or oh, are you going to the game tonight? Are you doing this tonight? Did you see this tonight? And then by my senior year, um, you know, and I'm sure if you guys are, are you know, fans of URI now as seniors in high school, you're going to eventually be students there, uh, you know, you hope. But as you get accustomed to it, you realize there are parts to your senior year that all of a sudden the, the, the social side of things, they're great, right? You're a senior, but it's more reflecting back and going, wow, like the last four years here, the basketball program is like, there's that staple, the banners are in the Ryan center. I was here during those years and those become kind of the, the, you know, moments that, that you really think about when you think back to, to college. So that's, that's been really rewarding, but yeah, definitely a buzz and, and just an energy around men's basketball that, that um, with all respects to every other sport on campus, it's just, it, it's, it's different, a game day type of feeling. Um, for men's basketball at URI. Yeah, I always seem to get the butterflies walking into the Ryan Center on a hyped yeah. up Friday night when you have one of those teams like VCU or Dayton. Sure. Or even PC coming in. There's nothing more that nothing better than just walking into that, um, walking into the Ryan Center and just feeling the atmosphere and feeling yeah. the fans and everything around you all coming together. Um, kind of have a similar kind of relation to that, right? It's like earlier, your early years in college um, with Dan Hurley coming in, started going to more games. I finally got season tickets right nice. that year when they won the eight ten championship and going along that ride has just been something special. I mean, watching this team grow and play and become a uh, national spotlight uh, over the past couple of years has been insane. And it's been a fun ride to be on. Yeah. It's, it's been, it's been awesome. I mean, right now, you know, again, I briefly mentioned it, but last year was kind of cut short um, in the tail end of the season, you know, I mean, let's just be honest. They didn't play, you know, the Rams weren't playing, 
their best basketball at the end of the season, which is what you'd like. But I mean, there was, I think a nine game winning streak there in the middle where beating VCU on the road and, and getting um, some big home games at the Ryan center. I think it was that Duquesne game that they were undefeated in conference play. And it's a Tuesday night, but we're, but we're right back from, from winter break. And again, just like this new atmosphere change where not only do you get the sellout crowd, but, but you get that energy and you get the, the, the kind of, um, you know, big time feel that, that comes with good college basketball. And that, that has, has struck uh, Kingston for sure. Definitely. Yeah. So we got one more question, kind of similar. Sure. Uh, what has been your favorite Rhode Island player memory and game that you have attended over your time at URI? That's a great one. Um, my, my favorite player, um, another another big question because there's so many great ones but I always had a soft spot for Hassan Martin um and and I think it was because my sophomore year um my sister is two years older than me so I I'm I'm never one to hide it growing up I wouldn't have described myself as a Rhode Island fan I wouldn't describe myself as a PC fan either but I was in Warwick I got these two teams I went to plenty of URI games plenty of PC games but I mean let's be honest we live in New England it was the pro sports that were the 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 big time things to follow but when my sister was a was a freshman at URI I would have been a junior in high school still and Providence was very good. Providence was very good that year. They made it to the Big East tournament. Uh, they won the Big East tournament, went to the NCAA tournament. But I remember paying more specific attention to URI and Providence because one PC was very good, but two, now I had you know something to root for. I had a sister that went to the university, and I quickly gravitated towards the Hassan Martins. Um, there was a couple other younger guys that ended up transferring away but even tj buchanan who's now an assistant coach that was left over from from the baron era there were these guys that you're just kind of attracted to because you're rooting for them now one because now i can identify with the school but also because they're longing for something as a player that's going to help a fan base now you start doing more research you start to watch more games i remember watching you or i lose to kansas in disney world in I think that was my junior year and again same thing didn't know too much about it but I knew coach Hurley had you know put together this recruiting class that all of a sudden people are talking about that was Hassan and EC Matthews uh, in the first couple years and whatnot and everything was really really good it felt like again that new wave and then Hassan really I had a I I, I began to like him because of his defense then I started to watch more and and he was a two-way player that put in a ton of effort um and then by his senior year, I think there's like two moments that I'll never forget, like winning the NC, I mean the uh, A-10 tournament and him hugging his mom and like collapsing into her arms crying was just like, that's what, that's why we do this, right? That's, it's for a moment like that. So I, I love Tassan Martin. Um, my favorite moment, I guess, would probably be that same game. You know, there was a ton of great ones, but winning the A-10 championship, I was covering it with student radio at the time. But again, I mean, there's no sense of hiding it. I'm still a student at the university. I go into that game wanting one team in particular to win, and that's URI. And I made the trip to Pittsburgh with two of my, you know, who have become really good friends of mine, Ben Kinch and Sam Murray, who uh, were student reporters and broadcasters at the time. We got there and I just remember thinking to myself, we got there on Thursday night and I was like, we're not leaving until Sunday. Whether URI plays on Sunday or not, we're staying the whole time. We drove all the way here. We got the media pass. We'll just stay and see what happens. And they won Friday night. And then Saturday, on Friday night, Davidson upbeat, upset Dayton, who had beat URI, whatever, two weeks prior after they had lost to Dayton and Fordham back-to-back at home. And it looked like the season was done. Then they went on this tear of where they didn't lose another game until they lost to uh, Oregon in the round of 32. So they ended up beating 
Dayton lost to Davidson. So now I'm thinking, wow, you know, again, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but you got to think we're a shoe in for the championship game now. And then Saturday comes around, they rolled Davidson, who was a very good team, very well coached team, as they always are, Davidson. And then they get to Sunday and you're sitting there like, wow, I'm looking around. I just told the story on another podcast too, but to set the scene a little bit in Pittsburgh, that's where the Penguins play. The Penguins' colors are black and gold. VCU's colors are black and gold. First of all, VCU travels well no matter what. Their fan base is rabid. They're great fans. And I'm looking around going, okay, our fans are outnumbered. And even the empty seats are gold and black because we're playing where the Penguins play. So now I'm like, even you look around, but there was a streak of Keeney blue behind the Rams bench. And I was looking and I was like, that's, I mean, that that's us here. Like we're here now. We haven't been to the tournament in 18 years or whatever, or 20 years, whatever it was. This is it. And they, I shouldn't say they handled them, but they played well. They won by like seven or eight points. And I remember the balloons dropping and everything. And it was like, Oh my goodness. Like, this is mine now, right? Like, this is my university. I'm going to be a graduate from here. I love this school now. This is me. And it was just completely overbearing. My favorite game, though, in particular, is uh, the Duquesne game I mentioned. And it's because I got to call it uh, on student, not even on student radio. This was, you know, my first gig last year. I worked in the athletic department in the media relations office. But part of this job was that any game that you or I had, whatever, whatever the sport that was on your view, I got to do the call of the game. And when Duquesne came to town, again, it's not a, it's not a big time team necessarily, but they were 5-0 and in conference play. They're at the top of the conference. And I got to call the game because it slipped through the cracks. No national t- radio, I mean, no national TV station picked it up. It's on your view. I prepared really well. I called the game with my best friend, Tyler, who I grew up with, who uh, is a freelancer too. And, and, and I needed a broadcast partner. So we got him on board. We were prepared. The Rams were prepared. The atmosphere was insane. And um, I think they only, they held, they were down at half and held Duquesne to six field goals in the second half. And if you think about what I said about Hassan Martin, effort and defense are like two things that I love in basketball games. And that was that. Um, one of the best games that I got to call that I got to be a part of. And um, again, it was during that stretch where they had won, I think it was nine straight games last year. And it looked like, again, it was only a, whatever the, you know, Sabre metrics are now it was a quad two win. It wasn't necessarily now going to push them into the, the, the tournament, the round of 62 or round of 64 necessarily come March, but it was a big win that, that I think meant a lot to a lot of people. And, and I get to have some very small minuscule role in providing, uh, you know, the play by play for that. So, so that was really special. Very interesting. Let's go across the board, Colin. What are, who, who are your favorite players in yeah. memory and game Never seen to get that answer. Uh, so I'm going to have to agree with Hassan Martin because nice. uh, my mom was born and raised in Staten Island. So it was really cool to see him play. Uh, yeah, he always just put his heart and soul on the floor. So I definitely go with him. Jeff Doughton, probably number two. Love him as well. Yeah, Doughton's a good one. Doughton's a really good one. Yeah. Um, memory, probably. Well, memory and game, I would say, are both the same because last year I got to go to the VCU game. It's the first game I went to last year, like in that season, and it was awesome. Actually, so memory, it'll be in that game. But we, my dad and I were sitting up top, and we had this like VCU super fan next to us. This mom that I don't know if she had a player on the team or something, but she was going nuts the whole game, especially when they were down by like 20. Mm-hmm. She was still screaming. She was going nuts like the whole time. She would not stop. So that, that is something that I'll always remember. And that That's game, cool. it has to be that VCU 
game. It was, it was just awesome. Fats and Jeff going off. Gotta love it. So that's definitely what I would say for that. That's great. And, and for me, I think all across the board, Hassan Martin, favorite player. Nice. I mean, he, I, he is so creative on offense uh, with his post yeah. moves and on defense. He's a, a huge force. I actually interviewed him uh, last year and um, great guy. And a plus guy, really. Yeah. And he actually that. told me something I didn't know in that Oregon game when they did lost, he was playing yeah. with a cracked knee. Yeah. Yeah. He was, that was one thing I was going to mention. He was a fighter too. Yeah. I mean, he, he said, he said, if this is my last game. I'm not going to go out. Yeah. No, like, he was, man, he was crazy. a fighter. That was a, oof, that was a hell of a game too. Cause I went to that game too with the, with student mm-hmm. radio. I traveled out to Sacramento. Um, but yeah, that was, he was, uh, he was a fighter and it makes you, it makes you really appreciate him now in hindsight. Right. Because yeah. You know, I mean, he's doing great out in Europe and yeah. making a mark for himself. For me, sure. memory, probably the A-10 championship in Pittsburgh. Nice. Um, I flew down with my dad and my brother. And on that Saturday night before the game, met Stan Robinson in the uh, hotel, which nice. is uh, pretty cool and all that stuff. Um, uh, when they won, I was crying. Yeah. And just so much joy. So probably that is my favorite memory. Favorite game, it probably could be that. But if I were to say off the top of my head, when they um, – Beat Duquesne when Stan Robinson hit the game winning three. The game winner, yeah, that yeah. was that was another game that was part of a crazy stretch. I think they won sixteen straight that mm-hmm. year because that it was, was the first week of them being ranked. Yeah, right, and it was a tough game. Right, they were down yeah. by like twelve or fourteen at some points, and they kept fight, fighting back, kept clawing back. They finally took the lead, then blew it again, and they had a Stan Robinson shot. It was standstill for three seconds with that ball in the air, and yeah. uh, it just erupted. Either that, either that. Or the VCU game when they won the A10 championship, like the like at the Ryan Center. Oh yeah, yeah, that, that was, was a while ago. That was the turning yeah. point of the season. That was a huge game because again, that was after they lost to Dayton and Fordham back to back. Yeah, and then they had to beat VCU at home to you know continue some type of hope, and they and they did. Yeah, I remember that game too. That was a great one. Okay, so now going into this year, talking about Rhodey, sure, college basketball this year. Who do you think? you see uh, the biggest improvement coming from uh, the returners. So that's Russell, Jermaine Harris, or Antoine Walker. Yeah. I think out of those three, right, and, and again, three really key names at different levels to the success for Rowie this year, because Fats Wright is, is the premier name. He's been here now three years, made a name as early as his freshman year with that 20 points against Providence as a freshman. That's really where I have the birth of Fats Russell, is in that game at home, the fans loved it. Then he helps them secure the um, A-10 regular season first in, uh, what's it, program history, sorry. And then sophomore year, not so much a letdown, but he had that adjustment where he had to become a starter. And then last year, put on a show again. This year, though, there's pressure, but not pressure in terms of, like, I think he's going to let people down pressure. I think Fats will be in most games – um, with the exception of a couple, um, that because there's other great guard play in the Atlantic 10 this year. But he's going to be one of the, if not the best player on the court. Um, so I think, I think Fats uh, will have, you know, I think he's going to do his job, right? He's going to put up 20 points a game on probably 15 or so shots. I think Jermaine Harris has to be the guy that we all kind of key in on. I think Antoine Walker is going to be great to help that second unit, another bench flow for David Cox this year. But Harris, you have to think 
it's almost like it's almost a cop-out answer but hear me out it's a something's gotta give type of thing right you don't get recruited the way that kid did and not have something left right so i'm not there's a lot of people that you know have given up on jermaine harris and they don't want him starting and whatnot no i think if 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 he is committed um in terms of, and again, I don't know what, what these practices look like or anything with COVID and X, Y, and Z, but if he is committed to playing two sides of the basketball court, playing defense and playing offense and gets a little bit more disciplined where he's not getting himself into foul trouble early on in games, he can stay on the court for longer. I think he's going to be one of, one of the, the bigger surprises this year for fans. Um, and again, I think that's that to a certain degree, a lot of people would say, well, you're wishful thinking because he hasn't shown too much over his first two years. But if he can adjust to the game, the speed a little bit more, because college basketball is a weird thing, right? Or basketball in general. Some games you have to speed yourself up. Some games you have to slow down, depending on pace, on tempo, how you're going to play, how the opponent's going to play. If he can discipline himself more and figure out the pace to the game, I, I think Jermaine Harris is going to fit right in uh, with URI this year in terms of really being a key contributor um, to, to the success of the team. Very interesting. And I agree a lot. I think a lot of people have given up on him, but they don't know, like to be a big man in a, in a good mid-major school or any good college basketball area in D1, it takes time to develop. Sure. We saw with Hassan Martin riding the coattails of Baruta for a little bit, and then it hits, watch him grow up and sprout to be a great sure. forward. So I think it takes time for him to, to, fun to actually – contribute as much as star forwards do yeah yeah and i think too and i kind of alluded to it but the atlantic 10 um is really guard heavy as it is there's a couple great forwards right i think trey mitchell is going to be great at umass as a sophomore i think uh, hassan french is going to pick up right where he left off at, at, at st louis i'm not putting jermaine at the, the top of my big men but what i'm saying is just like you said gavin there is an adjustment period so we got to let him play that out and also too if, if the team is going to be guard heavy, if the league is going to be guard heavy, I think his role just has to be to contribute and to stay on the court. I don't think we have to expect or we should be expecting a all-conference you know, type of idea from, from Jermaine Harris this year. I think he needs to understand his role, slow down the game, play more disciplined, and I think he's going to adjust fine into what will be his third you know, straight season of, of starting really full-time for URI. Yeah, so I'm going to go in the other direction. I'm going to have to say Antoine Walker because I think last year was only the beginning for him. And he'll certainly, I think, have more than 5.3 points per game. And he definitely had a breakout game against Dayton in a game where there there just were a lot of negatives in that game. It was a blowout loss. Obi Toppin was dunking all over the place. Sure. You know, they just they dominated that game. And I think Walker really has the chance to be the best bench player for the Rams this season. And he need, just needs to be great for mid-range. I think that's his sweet spot. And if he can make those easy easy shots, I think he's really going to be a key asset for URI this season. Yeah, I, th- I think Antoine, again, I, it's not so much I don't think he's going to play a role. I just think the role for him this year is going to be a bench role again. Um, but I think, I think, too, I think you're right. I think he, he you know, mid-range was really good last year. He had a couple games. I think was it Western Kentucky the first one he played? where he really looked like he fit in, right? Not to say most players wouldn't, but it's tough to transfer than sit out a half a year and, or he really sit out, sat out a full year because he sat out the entire um, spring the year before. But I mean, that, that is a tough adjustment to make. And I think he, he handled it pretty well, but no, I, w- I would agree. I, I do think he he'll, he'll play a big role too for URI. 
And I think you hit all the points where I agree with Jermaine Harris. I mean, yeah. this guy, you can't take him out of the starting lineup. That just lowers his confidence. I feel like if you're going to be a big man like him to contribute, it's going to be tough if you're getting fluctuated in and out of that lineup. So if David Cox can stay confident in Jermaine, I think he can stay confident in the team. Yeah, I, w- I would agree. I, th- I mean, I, I think Coach Cox's commitment to Jermaine has been evident based on the minutes that he's played, right? Jermaine Harris has played a substantial amount of minutes. So I think they believe in him. Um, I certainly believe in him as, as an athlete. I just think, again, there's an adjustment period and his might have taken a little bit longer than we're expecting or that we, that we expected to. Um, but, but, but I think he'll, he'll, uh, he'll play a big role this year as a junior. Now, um, switching sides there from returners to newcomers, what freshman or transfer you think will have the biggest impact on the team this year? Ooh, there's two that I, that I really want to talk about. One is Jeremy Shepard, um, because really he's not a newcomer per se. He was with the program all of last year, but he didn't get a waiver and he had to sit out a year after transferring really twice. He transferred, he started at East Carolina, transferred to a junior college, and then transferred to URI. Um, this is a guy that I personally think, and again, I never want to come across as some crazy basketball guru. I don't know at all. I just describe things as like you would describe it to your buddies when you're talking basketball, uh, you know, playing in the backyard. He is the smoothest shooter I think I've seen play in Kingston. That doesn't mean he's going to be up there with, you know, the, the greatest of the greats, but he has an incredible knack and feel for shooting the basketball. Um, so I'm really excited to, to see Jeremy Shepard play. I'm also really excited to see uh, Jalen Carey, the, the Syracuse transfer, because again, this is a guy that, I mean, first of all, you talk about um, transfers and it's easy to look at the, the Maryland's right where the, where the Mitchell brothers are from and Syracuse where Carey's from and Georgetown where, where um, Antoine Walker's from, but you got to look at, at, at how they're going to fit in. I think Jalen Carey again, matches that, that type of intensity very physical, um, committed, and also, what's the word I'm looking for? Pace. His pace in the game is really good. He sprints the floor. Um, and this is something that not necessarily didn't work out at Syracuse, just needed a change of scenery, right? Probably wasn't getting in the minutes he wanted, and he comes here. I'm really excited to see him and Jeremy Shepard because I think they'll be contributors right away, and they're going to help Rhode Island form this identity again of pace, they're going to sprint a lot. You're going to see a lot of up and back basketball, a lot of possessions per game for the offense. Because if you already have Fats, who is a, is a spitfire in himself, right? He controls the pace of the game. You need guys that are going to match that. And I think um, Shepard and Carey are two guys that I'm really excited to kind of blend in uh, to, that, to that offense. Again, I have to agree with you, Stone, because I am so high – on Jeremy Shepard. I mean, mm-hmm. you or I, whenever they've struggled in games big time, it's come usually when they get blown out. It's usually on the offensive side, and especially from the three, right? When they yeah. shoot well from three, they tend to win a lot of games. When they don't shoot well, they don't. We yeah. saw it last year when they played Richmond at home that first time. They did terrible yeah. from the field. They shot two for 23 or something like that from three. They couldn't get anything to fall. And I think he just brings something else that Rhode Island hasn't had since of course, a Jared Terrell or E.C. Matthews, where you can really rely. And even then, there were some off games, but rely on a three-point shooter um, to really hit his shots. I mean, Jeff Down, every once in a while, had some good games. He was more of a mid-range shooter, though. But still, sure. uh, with Jeremy Shepard, he just seems to have that spark. I'm pretty sure he shot 44% in his junior college year. And yeah. it just brings a little excitement to roadie fans, especially with, that, uh, with an offense that needs a spark. I, I think you're right. And I think, too, if you look back two years ago now, when they were the worst, I think at one point the worst three-point shooting team in college basketball. 
Um, it's no doubt in my mind why Jeremy Shepard transferred here. It's because they needed a shooter, right? Um, so again, I hope it comes, you know, down to the offense is just clicking well. But if you want to look at that three-point ball as the the problem, quote unquote problem, Jeremy Shepard will be a, an easy solution there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think he's going to be a huge factor. But I'm going to have to go with Makai Mitchell, and I say this because yeah, I think he's one. yeah, I think he's going to be the big man that has a chance to make up for no longer having surreal Langevin. That's going to be a huge loss, and I think he really has a chance to be a future leader for this team. I think him and his brother are going to be a huge duo, and they're going to be really similar to that Hassan Martin and Surreal Langevin duo that we saw go to the second round of the NCAA tournament a couple of years ago. Yeah, no, I, th- I think too. Those two names are guys that have played big minutes in a big conference at a big school in the Big Ten. Um, if they can come in here and, and, and play um, a high-level basketball, I do. I see the, the Mitchell twins blending in really well with the way that David Cox runs the program. Yeah, I think there's definitely a reason why they were recruited by Maryland. They're just usually a very solid team in the Big Ten, always have a chance to make a run in the tournament. And he didn't necessarily get the chance there. He didn't get a lot of playing time. Now he has the chance to, him and his brother, if they're on the court at the same time, it's going to be electric because they just feed off of each other. So I'm really excited to see both of them play. But I think Makai Mitchell has a chance to be the newcomer with the biggest impact for this team. All right. So, Stone, of course, URI's schedule has been very spotty on and off. And a lot of confusion there, but the biggest one we wanted to save for from earlier in the podcast till now, we wanted to talk to you about the cancellation of the PCURI game. What are your sure. thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a big topic. And, and first and foremost, I, I, I do understand why, why people are upset with this, right? Because in, in, in whether you think it's, I mean, there was a big, I shouldn't say problem, but there's a big conversation in particular when Dan Hurley was here about, is this a rivalry, right? Because coach Curley said it wasn't a rivalry. Hurley addressed it as a rivalry. What is it? I think, sure. You can look at it. Big East versus Atlantic 10 in that regard. It's not a rivalry, right? We only play once a year. It really doesn't matter because it happens all the way in November. Two teams can go completely different directions. I get all those narratives, but there's a rivalry side in terms of people in the state of Rhode Island care about this game. That's why I'm disappointed it's not being played. I'm disappointed because, to me, there is a value to this game that only PC, even though sometimes their fan base doesn't want to admit it, that only PC and URI fans understand. Um, I, I love the people that tell me it's not, U, it's not UNC Duke. Yeah, I never said it was. This, this, I'm not trying to compare it to UNC Duke. I'm not even trying to compare it to uh, – what's the – there's two schools, Belmont and Lipscomb, right? Two smaller schools that play twice a year in Nashville. The, rivalries are different in terms of what they mean to people. There's a lot of people that love this game because we're the smallest state. We don't have anything professional. Both these schools, whether they're in the A-10 or the Big East, their biggest programs are men's basketball. Getting them to meet on a court is incredible. It goes back to, what I think this is the first time, whatever, 90-something years it ain't going to be played. I don't know the exact numbers. I might be exaggerating a little bit. Um, But it's been forever since they haven't played. And there's also been a conscious decision back in the early 2000s by Tim Welsh at Providence to play this game every year and to alternate destinations because again there's a value to it so when providence says you know again i can understand uri fans frustration right oh they tell us 
they, they need to make time and they can't make space in their schedule and then they schedule Fairly Dickinson on the same night. I get the frustration side of things. Avoiding the basketball side of what it does for their chances, does it hurt their chances, just looking at it from a strict fan perspective, I'm very upset it's not getting played because of the history, because of the amount of people that care. And I just felt in a year that everything has gone wrong for a lot of people, this was something that I had, I had been looking forward to. I always look forward to this game. Um, and I, I described it on my podcast two years ago when I was a senior at URI, that it's ours. It's our rivalry. It's our game. PC or URI, it's ours. Let's, let's talk crap that whole week. Let's play that game on Friday night or the Saturday afternoon, whatever they've been playing. You know, I think last year they played on a Friday night, but most of the time they play it Saturday at 4 o'clock. That first Saturday in December is like, forget Christmas. That's what I look forward to in December. So I don't want to get into too much of the, of the specifics behind it outside of just I'm upset it's not being played um, as everybody else is. Um, and it's going to make next year that much sweeter, I guess. This will fuel, though, that this is a rivalry. Because if you don't want to play this game this year, it makes next year so much more interesting. So many more people intrigued. And also, these are two teams, let's be honest, that this is their peak right now. We're playing basketball in Kingston and Providence at the highest level we've seen in a long time for both programs at the same time. If we can't get them on the court now, I'm not saying I, I have faith in both programs that they'll both be good for years to come, but we got to use this opportunity now when they're really good to have really good college basketball games that are played right in the small state. Yeah, and I'll be honest, mostly on the history side, it's disappointing to see how the teams can't play. And yeah. this might be a little radical, but my thought on it is that if PC cancels the game, it should be at the Ryan Center next year because they're the ones that are going out of their way to cancel it and get That's it out it. of the way and schedule Fairly Dickinson. And, I mean, I get it with COVID and everything, but you're right. The fans need it. David Cox released a statement saying how yeah. the players, the fans, everyone needs it in Rhode Island, especially in this year, a, a crazy one where nothing seemed to go right. Um, that's where I get my upset from. That's what I'm upset. And the fact that it won't be at the Ryan Center for another three years is upsetting. To, upsetting, to listen to. yeah. That's a good word for it, upsetting. Yeah, I feel like this game probably could have easily been played. I mean, there there might be some things that we don't know, but them scheduling fairly Dickinson is kind of an indicator that they might have dodged this game. Uh, I don't want to make any assumptions, but probably could have been the case. And I think they feel, PC feels that they have more power than URI because they're just the bigger school. They're in the bigger conference. And Rhodey has been kind of right there with them the past couple of seasons. They made some deeper NCAA tournament runs. PC's had some trouble winning at the Ryan Center the past couple of years. So hopefully we can get this back to where it was because we have had some really good games in years past where you or I a couple of years ago was at the Apex. That year they won the A-10 regular season championship game. They had a really great game against PC. Bass Russell went off, and that was a huge game for you or I to win that at home against PC. So hopefully we can get back to what it used to be but, yeah, I, I agree with Gavin. I hope we can have at the Ryan Center when they play next, but we'll just have to see how that plays out um, in the next couple of years, I guess. Yeah, that's the thing. 
I, I mostly get annoyed by PC fans. They're always telling us like that we're the little brother and that they play in the big, big East. They play great teams and we play in the A-10, which are bad teams. It's like, well, if you look at it, you can't really, you're not comparing apples to apples. You're comparing apples to oranges, all right? We're playing the A-10 because we're in the A-10. Uh, the whole program, when there was the Yan- after the Yankee East and everything and all that crazy stuff, like if you give those teams like the Big East, we can give them a run for their money, but we, we don't because we're in the A-10 and we're committed to a conference that suits our needs. And for them to go out and say like, oh, because we're better than you because we play better teams. Well, you're in a better conference than us uh, statistically, but if you give it to the same teams, you might fare equal or maybe as better. You never know. You can't compare that. And then, then you go on to say that, oh, well, if PT is so good, how about where's their success in, their, um, in the NCAA tournament? And like, oh, well, we play different teams than URI. But you just said that you're better than URI because you play better teams. So you can't really make that argument. That's what really ticks me off with PC fans and the Big East and the A-10 saying they don't need a good non-conference schedule because they play in the Big East, which carries them, and which is why PC doesn't need to play road time rivalry because they're better than them and they play better teams. So that's where I get my frustration with that from that standpoint. A lot of people feel that way right now. I, re- I really do. So, I mean, again, I'm, I'm optimistic that we played this game in two years. And, you know, to a certain degree, you got to control what you can control. And URI has still scheduled a pretty darn good non-conference slate, despite all the, the you know, wrenches that have been thrown their way and, and just move in towards, towards competing um, both teams. And, and again, I, I do, I root for Providence, you know, in terms of I just want good college basketball in the state. I enjoy going to PC games. Um, I enjoy watching college basketball. So I do. I, I hope they still do well. It's not necessarily anything against them. It's just, you know, I think for, for right now, I thought we needed this game um, in terms of we, the state, the people. Um, and unfortunately, we're, we're going to have to wait another 365 days. Yeah, that, that, that is just disappointing. But let's look to the positive. Of course, you guys got a big non-conference schedule coming up. They've got a packed week that first week of Thanksgiving. I'm pretty sure you had a tweet saying you can be the most unproductive person that week 100%. when they play those four games. And I totally agree. We get, we get Thanksgiving break off uh, from high school that whole week. So I'm so excited nice. to get into those games and force a, a slew of four solid games. And you played Steve F. Austin team, who we mentioned before, who's coming off a great year. They have great juniors and they play good teams in USF, Towson, Temple. Uh, what, what do you think the starting five is going to look for this roadie team going to that starting week uh, um, for the non-conference schedule? Yeah, I think, I think the starting five this year, um, it's a little bit different. And I say that because, right, we've been so focused, and I don't blame you guys. I don't, I don't want this to sound like I'm calling you out. I'm just saying I think we as a fan base have been so focused on that, you know, that, that week that everybody committed here. The Mitchell brothers came and uh, Makai Martin came um, – sorry, Malik Martin came – uh, and the kid from Towson, right? Bur, I think it's Bertrand, right? He came. There were so many transfers that had come that we had forgotten, though, that they lost quite a bit too, right? So Tyrese Martin ain't, ain't here anymore. He's at UConn, right? So somebody's got to fill that void. Jeff Downton and Cyril Angevin, two of the most decorated seniors in program history, are not here anymore. So Fats, of course, is the shoe. And I think Jeremy Shepard's going to start. I think Jalen Carey's going to start. I think um, Jermaine Harris is still going to start. And then I got to cheat because I want to make sure I get the right Mitchell twin. I think it's going to be Makai Mitchell that starts. He's the one that has a little bit more experience starting role. He started five games last year in Maryland. Um, but again, you look at this, at this lineup and you see Fats, who's an all-conference player, who's going to be an all-conference player this year. Jeremy Shepard, who's played in the American. That I wouldn't say it's necessarily a step up from the Atlantic 10, but a, a well-known, you know, they're playing two American teams right off the bat who he's had some experience against in USF and Temple. Um, 
Carey played Syracuse. I don't have to tell you guys this. You understand this. But then a Maryland transfer and Jermaine Harris. I think that five on paper is pretty darn good. I think the Atlantic 10 got a lot better, though. Um, I really do. So to talk – I know we're talking about non-conference now, but to talk about those first four games and into conference play, I think it's going to really set them up to be really competitive in the Atlantic 10 conference. And that's because it will give them, which is a group of players that haven't all – even played together, never mind started a game together, it's going to give them some time to adjust. Um, it's a tough way to start the season by playing four games in five days, um, including a Stephen F. Austin team that, again, as you guys kind of mentioned, it's a lot better than I think people are making them out to me. I mean, they beat Duke on the road last year, and I think they only lost like three games. Um, so it'll be a tough challenge in, on a neutral court with no fans and just playing basketball, very similar to – to playing in, in, in the gym, you know, after, after basketball practice in high school or whatever, or scrimmaging, it'll almost feel like, I guess, because there'll be a different vibe. But Fats, Shepard, Harris, Carey, and Makai uh, Mitchell is, is who I think will probably be the starters this year for Rhode Island. I don't know about you, Shrek, but I have the, the, those exact same players. I believe in what you said with Carey coming from the Syracuse, you know, have some experience there coming together. Sure. And with Shepard be able to shoot the ball, help Fats out a little bit, help Fats carry the load a little bit. Because Fats, as you see, when he, he does his best, you write as their best when Fats pads the stat sheet, when he's got three steals, rebounds, assists, when he can do all that, when he can have fun with the ball and not just shoot, but free himself up. I think like it's when he plays his best basketball. Colin, what about you? Yeah, I've got the same starting five as you guys. I agree. I think Fats is really a much better player when he doesn't have to do as much because he can force a lot of bad shots. He can have bad games like we saw last year at Davidson where he struggled a lot and Rhodey can just go down quickly because of that. And they get themselves in a hole that they can't dig themselves out of. And I think with Jermaine Harris, like kind of what we were talking about earlier, this could be the last chance for him. I think it's his make or break year. He's going to have a really short leash. And I think David Cox might just remove him from the starting five if he doesn't perform well enough. But like we said, his confidence could go down. And, you know, you might not have that same kind of dog on the bench that you usually have. And with that being said, I think his job, though, will be much easier with the Mitchell twins because he'll have another big man in the starting five so he can pass the ball to him. And I think he's going to have a lot more assist as a result. And I think uh, Mikel Mitchell or Antoine Walker can definitely fill in for Harris if he goes to the bench to start the games. Very true. And so now... We talked about the starting five, a little bit of the non-conference, getting to the A-10, right? Again, as you said, Stone, a very stacked conference this year with a lot of guard talent. Who do you pick to win the A-10 championship if you cannot pick Rhodey, of course? Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Uh, and I, I kind of – I wrote down two teams here, and I was thinking how can I really, um, you know, hammer it home as to how I think the conference is going to be, right? Um, I think St. Louis is going to win the conference. And I put them there because I think – I think it's them in Richmond. I think, believe it or not, it's a, it's a unique situation. But I think Dayton is going to surprise a lot of people. And I think Dayton's going to surprise a lot of people because even though Obi's gone, right, he's going to the league, Anthony Grant is a damn good coach. With He proved, his team proved rather, that Obi was the exclamation point, right? Obi was what we looked for. But the team was really good, right? Really good, fundamentally sound. Jalen Crutcher is so good. So I kind of have St. Louis, Richmond at the top. Then you get your Dayton's, right? Um, that 
not necessarily going to surprise people because they could win the conference and it wouldn't be a surprise to me, but they're probably not going to be the favorite. Um, but those three teams are the three teams outside of Rhodey that I think are, are really, you know, going to be at the top of the conference. Um, I pick St. Louis because, first of all, you have two teams that Mooney and Travis Ford are both very good coaches. You have two teams that are very fundamentally sound defensively which is really, really big, especially for mid-majors, because that's how they might be able to squeak one out in the non-conference slate because they lock up a team that underestimated them a bit. Um, but, I mean, you look at Hassan French, he's going to pick up right where he left off. Jordan Goodwin is going to be great this year. Um, French reminds me, you know, of Mo Alley-Cox right at VCU, this big-body type of guy, plays tough defense, a tough big man. And then Goodwin is obviously one of the best guards in, in a conference that is, like we've mentioned, guard heavy. I went with St. Louis over Richmond um, just because I think they have an experience factor that just outweighs Richmond. Uh, and that's going to an NCAA tournament. Uh, they're technically still the reigning A-10 tournament champs, even though Dayton won the, the um, conference championship last year in terms of the regular season. So I won't call them the reigning champs, but they're technically the reigning tournament champs. So they've had some experience in playing and winning four games in four days in Brooklyn already. Um, so I think when you look at these two teams, they're very similar, very well coached, very good defensively. They can score the ball offensively. I'm only going to give the upper hand to St. Louis because I think they have some experience that, that Richmond doesn't necessarily have, but it would not surprise me if Richmond is the team that, whatever, is 16-2 and two in the 18 conference games they play. That also wouldn't surprise me. Colin, who's your A-10 champ? Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you, Stone. I'm going to go with St. Louis as well. And I'm going to refer to a tweet from uh, John Rothstein from CBS oh. Sports. He tweeted out, St. Louis was 19-2 and two last season when they held their opponents to 70 points or less. Yeah. And this team is just excellent defensively with Hassan French, like you mentioned before. He just causes havoc in the paint. And we saw this last season where URI played St. Louis at home at the Ryan Center, and the Rams were just drained offensively. They could not get anything going offensively. They looked terrible offensively in that game. And that's because St. Louis was just so excellent defensively and everyone is back for the St. Louis team. They played Dayton the closest out of anyone yep. in the A-10 last year. They almost beat them at St. Louis. And, I mean, I, I think they're just going to – they were really close last year, and this year they take that extra step and they win another A-10 championship. Man, we all love the Billikens here. Um, I had to pick St. Louis as well. Richmond, they got all the talent in the world. They're returning a lot of guys except um, Nick Sherrod actually will not be returning for them. I saw that. I think he tore his ACL again, yeah, yep. and, which is sad to hear um, because he's a great player. But you see Richmond, a ton of, they, they, I think they have three or four 1,000-point scorers. They have, all, they have all players they need. But I have two words for St. Louis, and that's physicality wins. They are yeah. so physical, go to the defensive side, rebounding, uh, getting the little plays to happen and go for them because their effort and their physicality. And I think that's what puts them over the hump. And I think Rody kind of uses that as well. I feel like that's why they were close. St. Louis was close to Dayton because Dayton really bodied up Obi Top and they really try to get to Jalen Crutcher and E.B. Watson and other those players and Trey Landers because those are some physical players. And if, they, if you fight fire with fire, you might get a different result. And that's what St. Louis did last year. And I feel like that's what Rody needed to do to beat Dayton last year, but it just didn't end up that way. They were just, just did not have the gas to beat Dayton. 
But I just feel like St. Louis has the physicality with Hassan French and Jordan Goodwin to to get the job done. So with those, we have a few few categories left. We have A-10 first team and A-10 player of the year. Stone, what do you think? So the first team I, I put, again, I, I got, you know, five guards to look out for and then a forward. So the guards are, are Fats Russell, who we talked at length about. Jacob Gillard at um, Richmond, again, proved himself last year. You know, I don't want to say better than Fats defensively, but right up there. If you're more familiar with Fats Russell, he's right up there with Fats in terms of a defense first, I shouldn't say defense first, uh, a hard-nosed type of defender that uses defense to translate into offense. Um, then, of course, uh, Jalen Crutcher, I think, last year, and um, Colin, you kind of referred to it, but that game uh, at St. Louis last year, Obi was great, but Jalen was the star. In that game, Jalen was the exclamation point. Uh, and I think to a certain degree, um, because of Obi Toppin's greatness and deserved greatness, there was a side to Jalen Crutcher that went unnoticed. He, too, is one of the, if not the best guard, again, because they're all interchangeable. They'll probably be interchangeable as the year goes on um, in the Atlantic 10 Conference. I also love Jordan Goodwin, obviously. We talked about him a bit. Um, but Kyle Lofton is a guy that not many people talk about. Not many people. Every year we make the same mistake. We underestimate St. Bonaventure. That doesn't mean every year they make it to the NCAA tournament. But they found themselves a win away from the NCAA tournament and lost to that St. Louis team two years ago. Um, Mark Schmidt is, for my money, the most consistent coach in the Atlantic 10. Doesn't mean the best coach, but the most consistent coach. He gets the same product from his guys every year, it seems, no matter who's on the court. Lofton stuck out to me in that game against Rhode Island two years ago at the Barclays Center. Um, where St. Bonaventure ended up winning to go on to the, to the conference championship game. But a guy that's 6'3", but long, really long, has great wingspan. Again, he's, he's, he controls the pace of the game. I also looked it up, too. This I had to go and physically look up because I wanted to see if I was right or not. St. Bonaventure doesn't have a senior this year. So they have a lot of guys, Oshun, Oshuni, Kyle Lofton, that are juniors this year, but have been playing starting minutes since their freshman year. So I don't want to look all the way out until next year already. But you want to talk about people to look out for this year? It's them because this might be the year that they make that jump and then next year are very dangerous. The one forward I have in my first team, I might surprise a lot of people because I think Hassan French can be up there too. But I have Trey Mitchell at UMass. I think Trey Mitchell is a really good basketball player. And he did something that not many freshmen do, and that's he gradually got better as the season went on. And I say not many freshmen can do that because not many freshmen get starting minutes and can get better as the games go on. The Trey Mitchell that you saw that last game against Rhodey, that it came down to the foul against him and fats at the free throw line. I mean, that's the monster of a basketball player that you're going to see the entire season this year. Um, they're well coached as much as it kills me to admit that UMass might surprise a lot of people this year, though. Not saying they're going to be a top five finisher or top even half finisher, but there's going to be a lot of people that are going to have them really low in their, in their projections. And I think UMass is going to be pretty good this year because of the jump that Trey Mitchell is going to make as a sophomore. Yeah, I've got a similar starting five to you for the A-10 uh, all first team. I went with Jalen Crutcher from Dayton, like you talked about before. I think he's really going to step up in his senior year. He's been excellent so far 
and he really was the key piece for that team, even with Obi Toppin being the superstar. Sure. I think Fats Russell is a shoe-in. I think he's going to be great, like we talked about. Jacob Gilliard's also an amazing player for Richmond that I thought a team that was going to make the tournament last year. Uh, Trey Mitchell is just a monster at UMass. He's going to be excellent. And then I think Hassan French is going to be a really big sure. player for St. Louis. I think he's going to be the star for that team, a team that is probably going to win the a championship this year. I think that's a that's a pretty sound starting fight. One thing I wanted to mention too, though, because um, a lot of people will, will hear who I mentioned and say, well, that's the same first team as last year. Yeah, and all those guys were juniors last year or sophomores last year. So to me, it's almost like, uh, you know, a quarterback can't lose his starting job to injury is right, the unwritten rule in football. In my mind, until they prove me otherwise, if you're asking me preseason, which a lot of people are talking about right now, Preseason, I don't know why we wouldn't go with – outside of Obi Toppin, who obviously is not here for obvious reasons, um, the team is going to be very similar in my preseason to the guys that finished off the year last year because they were all largely underclassmen. And who you got for your player of the year, Colin? Uh, so I'm going to go with Jalen Crutcher from Dayton. I think he was the second-best yeah. player in the conference last year behind Obi Toppin, and he now goes into his final season with the Flyers and takes over a team that was – the number two team in the country last season, I thought they, if the NCAA tournament happened, I thought they were going to win. And I, I really think they were on track to do just that. He's played in almost every game throughout his career, 94 games played. He's averaged, he averaged 15.1 points per game last season. And he'll, ready, he'll be ready to step up to the task as a senior for sure. He has a chance to outperform, outperform I think, every star player in the 8-10. I think he's the most talented player in the conference and a top-five player in the country. I think he's that good. And, Stone, did you give us a player of the year? My, you- play, my player of the year is um, – this is the one where I took the liberty of being a homer. I picked Fats Russell because I think, as Colin mentioned with Jalen Crutcher or as somebody could argue with Jacob Gilliard or somebody could even argue for Trey Mitchell, whatever player gets the most out of their team, in my opinion, should win the 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 champ the you know best player in the conference right because there's a lot of players that um are gonna be the best player on the court in every game but their team's not very good so did they really get the most out of their team right like i think it's is it ryan daly the kid at st joe's st joe's right yeah he's a beast he's he's unbelievable he's unbelievable but to a certain degree I do hold the team's success against him. And it might not be the best, right? But I do hold that against them because you've got to look at it and say, what did they get out of their team? And some of it isn't their fault. I went with Fats because I think Jalen Crutcher has – Colin did an excellent job describing his you know, value to Dayton. But I'm just thinking if you look at Rhodey, there's not – I think they're going to be good. And if I'm going to sit here and tell you I think they're going to be good and their starting lineup is – vastly different than the year before vastly different than two years before and really mixed up of a, partially transfers partially uh players that sat out all of last year partially players that have played you know if you're i.e jermaine harris two years in now and haven't done too much fats is going to have a little bit more of a bullseye on his back because he, there's going to be more question marks around him um and if, again i think this is probably the only time in this entire um, you know, breakdown of the first team where I will admit I'm a homer. And I just think Fats might have a little bit more, um, you know, 
say in how the team actually does than some of these other players. Wow, that statement with uh, how the team must do good. Well, not must, but should do good if you have a player of the year. Yeah. Just kind of destroys my whole thing. But you never know. <laughs> I, for my player of the year, I picked Trey Mitchell. I think he brings sure. a, a, a different type uh, of ball. I mean, he is a he's 6'10". He's not small. He's a big person. No, he's right? a big He's dude. got some weight on him, and he can shoot. That's the yeah. thing. He can run that pick and fade all day long, or he can go down in the post and get you all day. And Matt McCall's got a good team over there in UMass that could surprise a lot of people, like you said. And they have the chance of being very good um, com- compared to what they have done the last couple of years. But do uh, get some more wins and especially surprise some people, gets a couple of upsets in the A-10. So I think Trey Mitchell can lead that team uh, as much as that goes for the player of the year. Now, for my first team, I do not have Jacob Gilliard in it. And just for the only reason, they have so many weapons on that Richmond team that it's going to be hard for a person like Jacob Gilliard to stand out. I mean, of course, his defense is unbelievable. I mean, he can shoot so well. And I'm not saying anything against him. And this could be a terribly wrong pick. But I feel like Jacob Gilliard has a lot more options this year. And it's going to be a lot harder for him to stand up with those players that they got. Um, KO, they have they have um, Grant Golden. There's sure. a, a big uh, reason why they're doing so good uh, recently. So I have Fats. I have Jalen Crutcher. Again, with those those values you guys said earlier, Trey Mitchell, Hassan French, again, with the physicality and leading that St. Louis team. And kind of a surprise guard, Bones Highland out of VCU. Bones, yeah. I think oh, he's, he's, a, a he's a sophomore. He did yeah. unbelievable last year as a freshman. He took a big role. Um, I'm, I'm, try- I'm stumbling on the name uh, of, of the VCU guard who left last year. I would say not midseason, but like in January or early February. They had a oh yes yeah yeah he leave. left he had a leave of absence yes yeah. yep and I have to look him up too I would have to look I, I'm slipping on the name about. but Bowen Thailand who already played unbelievable before that stepped in that role and led that VCU team uh, to a solid stretch down the road um, with a team that was slowly crumbling um, v- VCU was looked at as one of the best teams the A-10 they could have had. Maybe Dayton could get that A-10 championship, but that VCU team was regarded very highly with Marcus Santa Silva, who is now in Texas Tech, but they just slowly diminished. They couldn't get the wins they needed, especially at home. And then you had that player had a leave of absence. Bones Highland stepped in and really helped this team. And I think he brings explosiveness and speed to that VCU team as a guard. And that's why I picked them to be my my first team, uh, my last first team selection. I, th- I think Bones, Bones is a guy that did – he's completely slipped my mind, but he's a guy that, you know, I thought last year there was a couple games where you went, who is this kid? And then you realize, well, that's the kid that last game I said the same thing. Who is this kid? He strung together a couple games that – and Bones has a great feel for it, right? You can really remember that name. So once you look him up and you get a feel for who he is, I think you're right. And I think Mike Rhodes is a great head coach at VCU. I really – that's one thing that – I say that all the time. I love coaching in college basketball, but I really think the Atlantic 10 coaching this year and the past couple of years, because there hasn't been too much turnover has been pretty darn good. Both, uh, you know, all these schools, whether it's Hurley going to UConn and the Rams going to find a new guy or Archie Miller going to Indiana and Dayton getting Anthony Grant. I mean, there's, there's so many coaching changes that can happen at a mid-major conference. And I think the Atlantic 10 schools have done a pretty good job of uh, either retaining coaches as St. Bonaventure has done with Schmidt for a long time. Um, Richmond hasn't given up on Mooney yet, which <laughs> for a while, a lot of I like Chris Mooney. I do. I, I, I've really liked him as a human, as a person. I think he's a great coach. 
and he dealt with a lot the last couple of years. I mean, they literally, I think there was a... Between the billboards and the, yeah, I think there's and the, the, the tweets the fire, calling him out, fire Mooney. He's got, he's got his team in a chance to, if not win the conference, pretty good chance of getting that large berth, um, which normally buys coaches a couple more seasons. So I, I think the coaching in the Atlantic 10 this year, um, no different than the past couple of years, has, has been pretty good, if not excellent. All right, Colin, anything else? No, I think we, we pretty much touched upon it all. I think this is going to be a really entertaining year in the A-10. URA has got a chance to make an impact. They're going to have some really tough teams in Richmond, St. Louis, St. Bonaventure. So it's going to be, I think, down to the wire. Hopefully we can have all those conference games happen. Hopefully no more scheduling conflicts. But I'm open for a really fun season, and I'm really excited for to watch the Rams this year. And I think this is actually the first time we've seen a roadie team kind of come together all at once. I mean, we see them rebuild and get to what they are at a peak and then come back down and kind of rebuild again. But this is the first time we've seen this much talent come together all at once that hasn't really meshed together uh, for very long at all. Uh, they have the talent. It's all about the chemistry and how they can do um, early on to set, a, set the tone for a season coming ahead. That's going to be unlike any other. Stone, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. It's been a pleasure and been great talking roadie hoops uh, with the season upcoming. Yeah, thank you guys. Really, uh, it was almost surprising to me, and this is not to be a knock as much as it's some credit to you guys. I was not expecting two um, high school seniors to be interviewing me today. I really wasn't. I thought for sure you, we were freshmen in college that wanted to get involved or whatnot. This is really big. This is stuff that, um, you know, if you want to do this for a career or if this is just something that's fun to you, whatever it may be, you got to start now. And I said at the beginning, you got to do, right? You got to do it. You got to do it. You got to do it. There's no more talking about it. And, and having me on was, was really a, a great opportunity for, for, uh, for myself to talk hoops. I've been waiting a long time to do <laughs> something like this and to, to get to know to uh, hopefully future Rams uh, because, again, it's, it's, a, it's a really special university. So thank the two of you, and I want to wish you guys both uh, health, and, and uh, that's really what I can – that's the best wish for people right now is with everything going on is continued health to the two of you to anybody important to you and again i appreciate you having me on this has been awesome well thank you very much thank yeah, you for thanks coming for coming on. on you got it well thank you for listening to our first episode of the run rams podcast and again thanks to stone freeman for coming on today stay tuned for episodes weekly for this podcast stay safe and roadie roadie roadie